0: We are very grateful to have you with us for the third time today. Can I please get you to stand to your feet and welcome Donovan up onto the stage, please? All right, you guys can take your seats. Uh, so, just to explain, we're doing something a little bit uh, different this evening. Thanks, sweetheart. Um, because, uh, yeah, I just thought it's not very often that we get to actually pick the brain of someone that has lived quite a bit longer <laughs> than what I have, and, and lived through um, a lot more. Say again?
1: I hope I'm not the oldest yet.
0: You may be, but that's okay. That's a good thing. That means no one can argue with you. <laughs> we have to honor our elders. So, so we're going to do a bit of a Q&A this evening. Um, I've gotten to hear many, many uh, stories and experiences over the years um, with Pastor Donovan, and I just thought it would be a really good opportunity just to, just to kind of give you an opportunity to hear a little bit more about some of the personal life and also just some of the lessons learned over the years. When you've been in ministry for over 40 years, how, do you, how many of you know you learn some lessons? When you've, when you've been dating and married to the same person and to that only person for 51 years, how many of you know you've learned some lessons? In Remaining faithful to the only person you ever dated, anyone impressed with that? 51 years, I think that's, I think that's commendable. I think that is seriously commendable. So, Donna, won't no you one just else wanted me. <laughs> can I get you to start just by giving us a little bit of background in terms of your family? Tell us a little bit about Patricia, your four kids, your three grandkids, etc. No, 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 your now family, your immediate family, please. Oh, well, you know, you kind of said that most we've uh, we met at school.
1: Uh, we went to the same school, so we just. Actually, the reason we met is I used to I used to be a gymnast and a trampolinist, and I got injured, and I spent a year in a brace because of what I did to my back, and so I couldn't play sport. Up until that stage, I was a bit of a misogynist, and um, I used to tell you might have to just explain that term. Oh, a misogynist is someone who doesn't like women. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't use a strong... So they would say woman hater for the deafening, but not that bad, okay. So i say a bit of a misogynist, and I used to say to the guys, they had girlfriends at school, I used to say to them, that's why you don't excel at sport, you've got, you've got a, this distraction, you know. So I was playing sports seven days a week, and because I got injured, I couldn't play sports, so that's how I met Patricia. Wow. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, that's, that's how we got connected, and um, I grew up Roman Catholic, she grew up pedestrian, I mean, Presbyterian. <laughs> And um, so what happened was I went along to their youth group and then I, was, I ran the Presbyterian youth group uh, and, and, and we started hanging out and that's how it all happened. And so then we got, married. We, were, we, we got married. We were emigrating to Australia because of the apartheid system and then we got saved. So we decided to stay and then we weren't going to have kids for five, six years. And uh, one week before we were married, one year, we had our first child. And then we thought, okay, well... Um, we'll, 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 we'll hang in there a bit, and then uh, just 20 months later, we had our second child. So, we got four children three boys, Ryan, Kevin, Stephen, and a girl, Lindsay. Patricia lost one child. Um, uh, and then we had a foster kid, a little guy we found on Cape Town Station. Uh, we took, took care of him for a number of years. And um, so, you know, I'm going to write a book on family planning uh, of the four kids we have. We planned one, the third one, and uh, everyone else was a complete surprise.
0: And that's, that's our stories, you know. Your, your kids uh, live on three or four different continents. Yeah. Um, some people might be aware, but, but Donovan's oldest son, Ryan, um, quite literally over the years, has challenged presidents, prime ministers. Mm. Has, uh, he, he helped lead the charge. For those of you that know about Brexit, he was leading the charge for the Remain uh, campaign. They lost. Yes. <laughs> and I think some people are regretting that. But maybe you can just explain a little, little bit about his history. I mean, he helped develop the DA in South Africa as a very young man. Yes, he, grew, he,
1: he, like a, he, had, a, he had a like, he was an activist. He had a social conscience, political conscience from a very young age. And he says, if you can look at you can Google it, and he, he's got interviews on radio and all kinds of things, where he says, they said, him, what got you interested in politics? And he said, watching my father in front of a black and white television, arguing with P.W. So So, <laughs> <laughs> you know i 'd get all excited at the television um, anyway, so yeah he 's from a very young boy he 's been very very active, and uh, all my kids are actually activists um, but he him particularly and um, you know he just thought, he just got involved at um, university he was involved uh, was invited to a liberal conference in in portugal uh, headed up the the d a, a national youth became uh, Zach DeBeer's speechwriter then became Tony Leons' uh, chief executive and chief strategist plus Ellen Zellers and then he decided to go to England where he was um, a, a chief strategist of the deputy president, I mean the deputy prime minister in England and uh, working at number 10 and his first day at number 10, he went into number 10 they told him to wait in the room and then this young lady, what was her first day, at number 10 she was going to work for the home office uh, her name's Jessica and so both of them had their first date, number 10, and they met each other. Now they're married. So, uh, and they now live in Dubai. So it's a bit. And Kevin lives in the U.K. He's just been to Norway. He's in Norway at the moment. Went to see the Northern Lights, and he actually saw them. and Stephen lives uh, in Taipei. He just loves the Eastern lifestyle there. He's the wild one. So so you have to travel all over the world just to see your kids. Yeah, we went to wanted. Taipei once, but they come here every year. Stephen comes every year. Kevin comes everywhere. Ryan comes every year. So we see them every year, and we go to the U.K. at least once a year. So we, you know, we, we get the And they, 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 they live all over the world. They get on. You know, Kevin turned 40 a number of years ago. And he's put on Facebook, my 40th will be in Zanzibar. Who's coming? So the, all the siblings went to Zanzibar for his 40th and
0: 27 other friends. <laughs> 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 they all make close friends with people, yeah. Now, we mentioned earlier that you and Patricia have been together for a very long time. Uh, started dating 51 years ago. Mm. Any advice for uh, some of our younger audience in particular yes yes. yes. don't be complicated <laughs> stop being
1: complicated I'm dead no no yeah? I'm giving you the best advice I can give you stop being complicated just find someone get on with them make a decision just make a decision that's it we made a decision okay we're going out well we might as well just keep going out and get married and have kids And <laughs> you make it too complicated <laughs> you can love pe- love's not a feeling love's a decision Okay? It's very, you know, uh, Trini Lopez. That's, how many remember Trini? Who are all the old people here? Trini Lopez used to sing a song about Sally was a good old girl. Anyway. <laughs> so just keep it simple yeah. and
0: respect each other. And that's it. You were also commenting the other day about also just the idea and the decision to keep, keep pushing through things, working through things. Um, just that, just that idea of commitment, which can almost sound a little bit, a little bit cliche in our days, but just the idea of actually just working through the commitment to one another.
1: Yeah, we kind of don't. You know, if I know she doesn't like something, then that's it. If she knows I don't like something, more, then that's it. You know, it's like, that's it. Yeah. So she doesn't like movies, so I sacrifice movies, and uh, I don't like, I don't know what I don't like. Um. <laughs> <laughs> But you know she's my wife, and the Bible says I must take care of her. So, um, you know, I don't. I, I'm old school. So, I'm a provider. I'm a protector. Uh, whatever she needs, that's what she gets. And I, th- I think, I think, to me, if you took that, you know, I mean, I know women want to be equal to men, but please, that's it's, you, you don't have much ambition if you want to be equal to a man. So stop it. <laughs> 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 and. Um, <laughs> So uh, You know, all this kind of stuff. I just find it, like, it just complicates life so completely. So, you know, if she, if she likes to, whatever, uh, it, I'm happy with
0: that. And she's happy for me to... Um Look, I can tell you from an outsider, having seen, um, obviously, different levels of exposure for over 30 years, there's always been an incredible amount of um, compassion, tenderness, honor, um, yeah, it's not it's not just a it's not just a cold clinical thing. I mean, there's there's an incredible amount of of yeah tender honouring. I love that word tender. I think you guys are tender with yeah. each other. And at least in to, public, you are. And I don't I'll know say this like to it, young people: you know
1: what? Beca- I watch young couples when they get married. When we got married, when I got home, it, it was like I don't, I don't, if I say the word expected. When I got home from work, she was there. I didn't want anyone else there. I once had a very 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 good friend at home when I got home one evening from work, and I said to this friend of ours, "What are you doing here?" Doesn't your husband expect you to be at home when you get home? She said, Not really. I said, Have you asked him? And then she asked him. And he said, It would be nice to come home and know that your wife's waiting. Very simple thing. I never greet the kids first. Always greet my wife first, make them wait. She came first. They will leave, she will stay. True. Very true. True, very important. It also teaches your kids something. Right? No, no, no. Yeah. And the best way to be a good father to your kids is to be a good husband to their mother. Yeah, absolutely. And the best way to be a good mother to your kids is to be a good wife to that. So, we, we, we've never shouted at each other ever. I've never shouted at anyone except the police. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and never shouted at our kids. And although my boys don't go to church. Um, to this day, they they wouldn't even burp in front of me. Well, Stephen would. He'd do anything, but not Ryan and Kevin. Never, 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 never. Because um, we we kind of model that. Yeah. We're so, not perfect. eh? We, we we wild. We do really wild stuff. I used to do ballet for my family every Friday night in my army underpants. So that gives you. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: well, I'm going to get that picture out of my mind for a moment. Just just give me a moment. <laughs> I want to change tracks uh, for, for a couple of minutes. Um, um, I'm always reminded, and, and I'll even try to encourage our folk from time to time, you're a Christian long before you are a pastor or a leader, um, and you've been a Christian for several decades. Um, there is inevitable pain. There are inevitable crises of faith. You even spoke this morning about dealing with some disappointment. Um, how, how have you been able to weather some of those storms over the last Forty plus years
1: yeah yeah I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, people ask me questions like, what are the most important things and what is your most success, and what is your this i don 't actually think like that, you know it sounds crazy. I just wake up, get out of bed, I drag a comb across my head, <laughs> I make my way downstairs and have a cup no i don 't those of you who know what I'm talking about, remember the Beatles song, and looking up, I noticed I was there. Anyway, it's called A Day in the Life. Yes, for me, it's like a day in the life. It's another day. And so you do face crises. You do face things where you worry about this or that or the next thing. But I've got to do this. You know what? I'll do my best. It's up to God. Yeah, I've done my best. It's up to God. If it doesn't work out, you know what? I can't change it. I can't control it. I've done my best. It's up to God. I don't want to live with regrets. I want to live in the future, not in the past. I want to move on. Um, that's it. If It doesn't matter what people think of me or whether they think I've succeeded or I've failed. It's got absolutely nothing to do with it. I'll just do my best, and it's up to God. Yeah. That, that's, that's the only way that I can do that. And then to just keep, keep doing it, you know. I just um, – look, I'm an optimist.
0: Yeah i 'm
1: um, just an optimist, and, and every day I get up believing something 's going to happen something 's going to happen and, and and by and large, you can make something happen yeah. it 's up to you to make something happen and I can make something happen now I can I can walk out of there honestly, I can walk out of that door I can walk into a shopping mall, I can go to a counter, I can have someone serve me ice cream. I was in russia, um, and you know there 's this woman in russia i 'm buying a pair of shoes. Uh, my brother now has those shoes and she she, she says to me, uh, oh, what's your name? And I go, my hair was completely different, my glasses were much bigger and I said, I'm Elton John. She goes, wow! <laughs> and uh, she believed me.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I was with a guy called Oistein y- Yerma. You, you've met yeah. him, he's pre- spoken at our conferences and things. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I took it from there to where I told her I was a pastor and wanted to pray for her. And the whole atmosphere changed in the shop. And he came out of the shop with me. And I'm not talking about me, but I just want to tell you. And he said to me, I have never sensed the anointing in an ordinary situation wow. in a mall like that in my entire life yeah. before. The trouble is we don't, we, we just, we, we, we're unobservant, we're lazy, we, 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 I mean, think of it. Do something. Yeah. Speak to someone. Just make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been a Christian? I don't know. Um, um, I have to calculate, <laughs> but it's forty something years. <laughs> okay. Um,
0: I don't even remember that.
1: I, I don't. I've got to work, I've got to sit down and work it out. You See, that's why I don't. I don't live
0: like that. I know some of the stories of of even just uh, seasons in the ministry where you guys have have had to pay quite a high price in terms of <laughs> being given a couple of weeks' notice to pack up and move all your kids and your whole family to another part of the country. Um, uh, some mm. of the some of the housing situations, etc. So, um, there have yeah, been we challenges. In, we lived in eleven houses in thirteen years. So, would be fair to say that there have been challenges. Oh yeah. You've been a leader. You've been the national leader for over twenty years. Yeah. There have been challenges. But I, you know, I don't think of it like yeah. It. Is it just this resilience, just this ability to keep yeah, being optimistic no, and pushing I, oh, through? Yeah, I
1: don't know what it, you know. You, you play rugby, and there's someone knocks the ball on. You have a scrum.
0: Yeah.
1: You win the ball. They drop it. You have another scrum. Yeah. Just so would
0: we you say it's almost a case of rolling with the punches, doing the best you can, taking yeah. responsibility. You know, okay. I mean, I know, you know, you, you know. I quoted Rocky this
1: morning: "One punch, one, <laughs> one round at a time." That's mm. life. Hey, eh? one punch, one round yeah. at a time. But then Mike Tyson said, "You know, everyone's got to play until you get punched in the face." <laughs> 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 and that's kind of true. But yeah. you know what? Don't let it put you down. Da- yeah. yeah. Just get up and. It's very hard, for, you know. Well, it's hard for someone who's an optimist to speak to someone who's a pessimist. Yeah. That's just. I mean, I can't change you. I mean, you yeah. It's. It's just a matter of. Well, you know, we got to move. Let's move. You know, I remember when um, I had my bypass. Actually, yesterday it was. Um, um, eight. Eight, eight years ago. Yesterday. You know, I was fit, I was eating, I was doing all the normal things. I was walking across the runway to catch a plane in Port Elizabeth. My legs began to buckle. I felt weird. What's going on? I'm beginning to perspire. Something's not right. I got to the stairs of the aircraft. I feel, jeez, I can't get up here. I remember saying, God, I'm not here. not here. Run- I can die at home. It's not an issue. But on the runway, can you imagine? It's stupid. Being in the newspapers and all kinds of stuff. And, 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 and then I got to the, the stairs getting up into the, into the plane, and I was like, God, if you lift them up, I'll put them down. Just get me up here. Anyway, cut a long story short, I got home, you know, the, in the doc they gave me an angiogram They told me you can't get off the bed, you know, if you get off the bed, you could die, you've got four arteries, they're totally blocked. I'm like, what? Wow. Not for one second, not for one second did I think I wasn't going to live.
0: Wow. <laughs> I think that's very impressive. I said, get on with it, get over with it, I've got work to do, you know. <laughs> um... Just before we move on to a different topic, uh, you've been through different seasons in in your personal, for lack of a better term, devotional life, your spiritual disciplines and and rhythms. Um, I know know that there have been some shifts in the last uh, two years, give or take. Can you tell us a little bit about just some of the things that you've experimented with last year, this year?
1: Yeah, Well, in the beginning, you know, we got all this teaching on having a decent quiet time. It was like two Bible studies, and then you got to do it like this, and then you get this Bible and your Thompson's Chain Reference Bible, and you, and you do your quiet time, and then your wife wakes you up. Wake, up. wake up, wake up, you've got to go to work. I mean, the stress of trying to put in an hour or one and a half hours and be like Yonggi Cho and be so super spiritual didn't work. And I discovered that... In my early days as a Christian, when you fail at an hour, you're a failure. But when you succeed at three minutes, you're a success. So I thought, hang on a second, this is a bad way to do a quiet time. So I started working on what works for me. And for years, you know, not for years, but there were phases in my life where I didn't have a quiet time. I didn't have the energy to have a quiet time. But I just didn't know where to start next. But I just didn't. I've just read this book. I don't feel like reading another book. Um, I'll just read a novel um, I'll listen to a record maybe God will speak to me um, that kind of thing and then I got into reading through the Bible every year and I really enjoyed that for 1990 I started reading the Bible every year um, you know the same Bible and then you get to a place and you go oh no, no, it's January 1st okay, so you've got to start again <laughs> in the beginning and all this kind of stuff and you know, I've had enough of that now I've done this for years and years and years and so I would encourage you Get different. Don't wait till it's too late. Change yeah. the way you do your devotions. Very Keep good. it fresh. Mm. Um, change it. Make it. Make it different. Read about other people. There's lots of. You, we, you got Bible apps we've never had. You yeah. got. You got so much help we never ever had. We just have to like fight our way through it. And so this year, I read um, a chapter of Proverbs and five Psalms every day. That means that I would read through the Book of Proverbs and the Book of Psalms once a month. And I did that for. Nine months, sure. And then I I got tired of it. So then I just thought, I'm just going to read the Gospels now. So I've read. I've got just Matthew to go. Very good. Very good. (laughs) But you know what? Yeah, because reading Psalms and Proverbs, you didn't read anything in the New Testament for nine months. I was like felt. I felt like I've got a an iron deficiency or a calcium deficiency. Or uh, yeah, you you know what I'm saying. But just find little ways. Even if you read one verse a day, read a verse. Do something, find a way to get a connection with God. Go yeah. and sit somewhere. Um and then and there were years when I would take books like uh, Bobby Houston's book, Heaven Is in This House, and I'd read a chapter, because they're very short chapters, or Bill Hybels' book. And by the way, you know Bill Hybels had a pro but Bill Hybels' stuff is still brilliant. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: That's right. Just it because just because I fail doesn't mean everything I've done is a failure. That's right. Don't be stupid now. Yep. Um <laughs> Seriously, I mean, that book Axiom, you know, read through it. Brilliant, And I would read through some of these books with my my Bible reading every
0: single day, and um, I enjoyed it. Very good. Um, I want to also remind you, in case you're uh, visiting this evening and you're exploring Christianity, um, believe it or not, you don't have to believe the Bible to read the Bible. Uh, You actually read the Bible in order to discover whether or not you can believe the Bible, yeah. whether or not there's, there's life in there. We'll read books and magazines and news articles all the time without knowing for yeah. sure that it's true. So, so don't wait until you have that conviction. You can just no. start reading it, and God, if you're real, please meet with me in this. Um, in fact, you don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. Correct. Yeah. Very true. Um, I know that over the years, friends and mentors have played a significant role mm. for you. You've never done ministry alone. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Yes, I had, you know, I had
1: my heroes. I've got got in my office. If you go to my office, I've got five pictures up on the wall. The five older guys, uh, how many of them are still alive? Two. Two of the three. So, and they're old. Those who are alive are old, eh? One foot in the grave, one foot on a banana peel. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So they're ready to go to glory any minute. But, but, but. I always had these guys, they spoke into my life, they were say, you, You've got to find people who will speak into your life, consistent people, people that can help you, people that can speak sense into your life. So I've always had those kinds of people, uh, John Bond, uh, Frank Houston, that's Brian Houston's dad, Waltie Sneiman, Noel Cromot, and a guy called David Sherman. So those were the five guys that really impacted my life and helped me to to move forward, to switch, to change, to to get different kind of uh, uh, things, and then I've got—I've always had friends. We, you know, every single day, every single day, I talk to my friends yeah. on the phone. I mean, ministry friends. Yeah. Every single day, we have conversations—not yeah. uh, just on WhatsApp. I talk to them. They yeah. talk to me. And we, we connect and we encourage each other. And, and we talk about all kinds of things, you know, politics and the world and, and, and the issues that are happening and about our lives and our families and our grandkids. And on Sunday nights, in fact, um, I won't do it tonight because I'm, I'm out, but 90% of Sunday nights when we're in town, if I'm not preaching away, Patricia, myself, and another couple in ministry in our team, we we have dinner every Sunday night.
0: Very good.
1: We have a meal together, either their house, our house, or a restaurant. And we talk about everything. Yeah. And and we're able to share. And when when one gets prostate cancer, the other one can phone them. Yeah. And it's not if things will happen to you. It's when things happen to you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And then you need friends, you know, real friends. Friends will be there for you.
1: So you need
0: friends. You think I, do you think it's dramatic to say that you can't go the distance alone? You, no, you need to No, friends? you can't. You can't, right? You can't. No, it's not normal. God
1: takes alone; he puts them in families. That's right. The Bible speaks in plural terms: apostles, evangelists, yeah. elders, deacons. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it never speaks in the singular. It always speaks in plural. When you talk oh, by to the us- way, God says, "We let us make man in our image." So. God doesn't make it alone. We can't make it alone. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what you would call uh, your greatest currency. Oh, yes. My greatest, you know, I wish you to think time is my greatest currency. Now, you need to understand that I'm a bit of a, um, my wife calls me a Duracell bunny. <laughs> she doesn't know how to handle reason. <laughs> me. reason. You know, when I get out of bed, it's like, tsk. I don't know how to get out of bed slowly. Um <laughs> <laughs> like I wake up, tick, tick, and I'm out, and off I go. And, um, but when you get a little older, you realize time's not the most important currency in your life. Energy is. So it's not how much time have you got, it's mm. how much energy have you got for the time that you've got, yeah. how much you can expend in that time, and um, you've got to know what can replenish you. Yeah. People don't know how to replenish themselves. You understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. If you give out more than you get back, you will burn out. That's, yeah. that's the definition of burnout, yeah. giving more than you get. Yeah. And you and I need to find ways in which we can replenish ourselves. And Patricia and I have replenished ourselves in restaurants, not just physically. That's our happy space. When that's, yeah. that's, we're together in a restaurant, in a nice restaurant, eating good food, we're happy. And... Um, <laughs> not just our stomachs, we are yeah. extremely happy, hanging out with people. So you've got to find ways to get your energy back, to get your energy levels up. Yeah. And the important things about energy is you need some form of exercise. So I try and walk for an hour every day. Uh, do something that just makes the blood flow. Yeah. Um, and you've got to sleep enough. Try to. Sleeping a big... I've had sleeping problems for years. I've worked very hard on it, and it's improved. And um, you've got to watch your diet. Uh, and that's not easy. But, so even though you're like, you live in restaurants and things like that, you can still sort of control it a little bit. But, but that's such an important thing: yeah. making sure you've got enough energy. For instance, um, it doesn't matter how many shots you have at goal; it's how many goals you score. Yeah, and very that's good. the same about having
0: the right air.
1: being effective, not being active.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, on a side note, I remember you s- mentioning some story years ago about following, I think it was Nelson Mandela, into a bathroom, into a toilet yes, somewhere. Yes, yes. Can you tell us about yeah,
1: that? Yeah, I, I was at a function where I met Bill Clinton and Nelson Mandela. Yes. And I've always had this thing, I want to meet famous people.
0: Sorry, just for some young people. Bill Clinton used to be the president of the United States. Okay, just, no, just to call uh, you yo, yo, in quickly. Yo, Bill Clinton and Nelson He's Mandela. He's famous for some other stuff as well, but that's they a, had a ve- story. No, Bill Clinton and Nelson Mandela had a very
1: strong relationship. Yeah. That when Bill Clinton got into trouble... With Monica Lewinsky, Mandela went to see him and told him, you don't give up, you fight this, you go to your pastor, you get counselling. They went for counselling. They went to their pastor for counselling. The president of America, just like Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, went for marriage counselling. Not because they had a bad marriage, because they wanted a better marriage.
0: Very good. <laughs> very important stuff. Very, very anyway, good. Anyway,
1: they were two of my heroes. I, I still like Bill. I have a sticker, a bumper sticker that says, I miss Bill. And um, <laughs> I love Bill Clinton. And um, yeah, no, they, we were at a function together and we, and we met with them. And then Mandela went into a bathroom and I followed him uh, to say hi. And, uh, and also ch- I also followed Desmond Tutu. Uh, Desmond Tutu, uh, Desmond Tutu was fantastic. Yeah. Ah, Ha ah, oh, he's got that picture, you know, you're a wonderful creature, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. what an incredible person, a person that, yeah. seriously, all those people, the minute you're in their presence, it's, I'm yeah. being serious, yeah. it's different, it's like, there's, this, you feel like you're in the presence of greatness, eh? yeah. no question, not just them, you know, I met Morgan Freeman, I met Dustin Hoffman, I met, um, some of you won't know, Mike and the Mechanics, you know, Mike and the yeah. Mechanics in the Living Years, Beach of Gold, another cup of coffee, all that. I love Mike and the Mechanics. I met him at an airport. I saw him standing across the way there. Um, listen to Mike and the Mechanics music, you'd love it. I'm yeah, telling you, you yeah, will. Yeah. So I walked, I walked over to him. I said, hi, Mr. Rutherford. His name's Mike Rutherford. I said, hi, Mr. Rutherford, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Very deep voice, you know. So I said, hi, I'm a fan of yours. So I listen to a lot of your music and blah, 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 blah. Cut a long story short. He said, what are you doing I said, my kids live here. I'm on my way to Ireland, blah, 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 blah. I said, Would you, I, know you live in, I know you live in South Africa for three months of the year. You have a fantastic house in Bantry Bay. Would you mind singing in our church one time? He said, well, I'm not really a singer, you know, and uh, because he wasn't. Andy Carrick was the singer. And um, anyway, cut a long story short, I told him about how I listened to his music. I can't tell you the whole story, but what happened is my father died on when I came back from a trip. And I played his song, In the Living Years, at my father's funeral. To tell people, my father and I had this fantastic relationship. Uh, we spoke to each other every single day, took him out for a meal every single week. And the, the Living Years is about people who have a regret that they didn't have the relationship they should have had. Now the man's dead. It's over. Wow. And three people phoned me to say that um, my relationship with my father reminded them of the song that In The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics. Wow. Anyway, I was in an airport one day and I heard that behind me. Hi, Donovan. Because I'd met him a few times, and I turned around was Mike Rutherford. I said, "Oh, by the way, my father passed away, and I played your song." Oh, wonderful!
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was. But I've met I've met quite a number of of these people. Um, again, you've been in leadership for decades, not just as our national leader, but I think all throughout your life you've been in roles of leadership. Um, what are some of the mistakes that you've made? What are some of the lessons that you've learned? I know, I know you could probably tell us a bunch, but just some of the, some of the highlights. It's very hard. I, I make mistakes every day. Um, oh, what
1: can I say? Make mistakes. You don't, know? I mean, you've got to talk about you believe in the wrong people. That's a big mistake. When you think this is the right person, put your time and energy into this person, it doesn't work out. That's a mistake. By the way, I don't beat myself up on mistakes. I just move on.
0: Yeah.
1: Ring the bell, enter that round, next round, come out fighting, and kind of move on. But I don't dwell on mistakes. Of course you make mistakes. I've made lots of mistakes. I'll never, you know, the funniest mistake i ever Patricia, my wife, she loves, she likes Cliff Richard. So Cliff Richard was at Newlands Cricket Ground doing a concert. We got free tickets in somebody's box. But the, the sound was horrible. The, you know, the guy sings before the time, whatever you call that act, the, the, the first act, you know. And, the opening act. Hey? The opening act. Whatever, yeah. And, and and the sound was pathetic, and we couldn't hear. And I'm like freaking out. Now, my wife wants to come listen to Cliff Richard, and she can't hear him, you see. So I go downstairs, and I walk around the place, and I'm trying to find out who's in charge of the sound. And eventually, I see this little guy. He's got stuff hanging all over him with like a, a photographer's jacket. And he's got earphones and long hair and big concerts and... I say, excuse me, excuse me, are you in charge of the sound? He says, yes. I said, listen, do me a favor. My wife likes Cliff Richard. She's sitting up there. She can't hear. Can you please fix the sound? Okay, we'll do our best. I go back up there. Cliff Richard's about to come on. The sound's pathetic. I run downstairs. I find him. I said, listen, I asked you to fix the sound. My wife came here to listen to Cliff Richard. You understand? Now, the sound isn't fixed. Now, listen, I'll go right past this black and yellow You've got to, and I'll go and pull all those wires out. <laughs> Security, take this man. <laughs> <laughs> what an absolute course. <laughs> I had to beg him not to chuck me out of Newlands. So that's a mistake I made. You know, that was a bad mistake, but <laughs> on a humorous level. But you know, when we make mistakes, the trouble is with our society, we're so punitive. You know what I mean? We want to punish people who make mistakes. And we think it's so biblical and so religious. Actually, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches at all. And so when people make mistakes, they get beaten up and they get hammered. And we should be more forgiving, give more grace to people, give more place for people to grow. And when we do that, we we understand that making mistakes is just part of life. Everybody makes a mistake so, own up to your mistake. Own up to it. So, you know what? That's my, I apologize. I think having grown up like a Catholic has helped me. Having to go to confession every week. Bless me, Father, five sins. So many weeks since my last confession. Accuse myself of the following sins. Tell the priest my sins. He forgives me. I don't even know if he's listening. I don't know if he's reading a comic. I don't know what he's doing behind that curtain. He could be doing anything. But the minute he says, You're forgiven, I believe him. I believe him. I used to walk out there. If I die now, I'm going to heaven. Patricia'd be waiting in the car. My girlfriend, we'd, we'd off we'd go. I wouldn't. I would be so good, so good. I wouldn't do anything wrong till, I, till communion the next day. Then I'd like, okay, cool. I can do what I like now because I've got a whole week before I go back to communion. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I think having going to confession, getting it off your chest, yeah. confessing it, admitting it, yeah. owning it. Stop fighting. Stop defending. Stop blame shifting. Honestly, that's the best way to get on with a mistake. Yeah. I'm sorry, my very mistake. You know, cool. you know, I, I made a mistake in a meeting one day. I didn't just say sorry to the guy I made a mistake to. I wrote a letter to him and I, and I cc'd all of you. Yeah. And guess what? They didn't know how to handle it. <laughs> they didn't know how to handle it, all these young guys. None of them answered. I can own I can own, my, I can own my mistakes.
0: Own them. I remember you commenting publicly as well about, um, in some cases, overriding limits, personal limits, so your physical health and things like oh. that. With, 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 with being so committed, you know, I don't know what the right word is, so like driven. Yeah.
1: I'm driven, very. You know, uh, at, at 40 odd years of age, I decided I'm going to run. Because when I got saved, Christians weren't allowed to play sport. In, no, we weren't allowed to. It was worldly. So we stopped playing sport. And, um, and then I turned 40 odd. And I thought, no, I need to get fit again. I'm going to run. So I decided I'm going to run the comrades. So then I started training and I ran the two oceans and I got seriously injured. And, you know, typical of me, wake up, take your pulse, logbook, follow this, do this, do it like they say. And overcommit to the point that you get injured. So I've lived my life like that. And I tell you something, I dam- I've damaged, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I don't look it, but my body is pretty wrecked because I've worked too long, worked too hard, done too much. You know, the, at one time I was preaching, seven times a week on average. I've so visited or connected with 800 people every year as a pastor. Uh... 5,000 kilometers a month saving the world, and then you end up with stomach problems, heart problems, bowel problems, yeah. prostate problems, bladder problems. Yeah. <laughs> How many other problems do you want? Yeah. So, you end up with what's the point? I mean, there's just no point to it whatsoever. So just calm down. So now the advice. Like I phoned Dina. You all know Dina? I phoned Dina the other day. Don't take emails on your phone. Stop it. No, I don't take one email on my phone. I don't do emails after five, six o'clock at night. That's it. Close that computer. Very good. I will not go to bed with that stuff on my mind. If I see a difficult email on a Thursday or a Friday, I won't open it. I'll open it on Monday. I'm not allowing a bad email to mess me up for Sunday.
0: Very um, good.
1: Um, all kinds of things like that. Mm. So I've learned, if you want to go the distance yeah. well, with lots of energy, pace yourself. Yeah,
0: boundaries, eh? boundaries and limits.
1: Mm. Is that
0: helping someone out here? Maybe I'm spe-
1: But some of you shouldn't be listening to this because you're lazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't look at the person next to you. That'd be awkward. I know some of you are lazy. <laughs> Um, anything else on the top of your head that you would do differently if you got to have the last 20 or 40 years? I mean, I know there'd be stuff, but anything on the top of your head? <laughs> Knowing what you know now? Because I know, for example, be sometimes more strategic, you'll talk
1: about. I plan better, I'd be more strategic with my life, with my time, with my energy. I do, I, I, think I suppose I do a whole lot of, I do life completely differently, I suppose, but I don't know how to explain that. It's just that,
0: you know. Can I ask it in a different way? You, you've commented a few times how you wish, knowing what you know now, you had another twenty or thirty or forty years ahead of you. So, so maybe let, let me change the question. What makes you most optimistic about the season ahead for the church, knowing what you know now, what you've seen, some of the principles and lessons? I'm very optimistic because we no longer. You see, you need to understand that why I talk like that
1: is I grew up in apartheid. I grew up in a closed society. I grew up in a society where we didn't have contact with the rest of the world. And we were, we were isolated. We were the pariah dogs of society. So you, you lived insular, you lived lager mentality. We now live in a world where instead of living in our little camps, the water has risen above the boundaries. Yeah. And you can swim almost everywhere. That's why I don't like Brexit. I'm just telling you my opinion. I don't want to have a debate on it. I don't believe in exclusivism. I don't believe in cutting people out. I'm an inclusive person. I'm I'm a globalist. I'm a... I'm I'm not a nationalist. I don't believe that nationalism is good for anybody. I believe we need to have a worldview. And I'm optimistic, which means we can connect with churches and church leaders all over the planet, and we can learn from one another. And that's what's so fantastic. Every year we have different speakers at our conference. We connect with people. I I think you were one of them. I took a whole lot of guys overseas because I've got a lot of friends this age overseas. And so... I said, come on, let's all meet together in London. So we all met together in London for two days and just spoke to each other and connected with each other and got different perspectives, living in different parts. of the. That's why I'm hopeful for the future because we're no longer locked into our, our little camps. Let me just say this. When, when I was growing up as a Christian, a doctrine divided us. Baptists and, and, and Pentecostal never really spoke to each other. And then that changed with the charismatic renewal. And, and now we're all just sort of connecting with each other. And then style separated us. The, the style, not, not the doctrine of the church. People come here, they like the style, they stay. They don't know whether you baptize adults or whether you baptize infants or whether you break bread once a month or once a week or once a week. People don't think about it. They just say, okay, we like it here, so we'll stay here. But I'll tell you what's the danger now. What's really dividing Christians is politics. Yeah. And we need to be careful of that. Yeah. But by and large, I'm optimistic. The church has got a great future. And as long as we're connecting with people
0: around the world, hearing from God, yeah. it's going to be fantastic. You, um, you've been reminding all of the ministers around the country every week on a Wednesday yeah. to pray for workers. Yeah, um, You see the, the need, the burden. Um, I, think, I think we agree that uh, government's not the solution <laughs> to the problems of our country or the world, um, that we need life-giving churches, but that we need healthy ministers. Can you just talk just a little bit about j- just just that burden, that, that scripture passage about the harvest being ripe, the workers being few, and yeah, just just, just the heart behind that. Oh, you
1: know, we always used to say, give us revival, give us revival. Jesus didn't say pray for the harvest. Yeah. He said the harvest is plentiful. Yeah. There are hundreds of people who don't know that they belong to this church yet.
0: Yeah.
1: Don't let the harvest go rotten. Yeah, yeah the harvest can go rotten because we don't harvest it. Yeah. We need workers. We need ministers. We need people put their hand up. And it's, it's a challenge. It's not just praying. It's being intentional. It's like, I had this weird idea. Jesus just walked up to people and follow me. So I, was, <laughs> I saw a guy in Tiger Valley one day. He was quite an impressive young man behind a counter. I had a conversation with him. He's selling Nespresso coffee. He had a strange name. I said, Where'd you get that name? Your mother found it in a cemetery. And he thought, oh, Who's this dude? And I started a conversation with him. And the thought came to me say to this guy, Follow me, and I will make you a pastor. I don't think, and and, and with all due respect, pastors are so busy trying to make the church work. You have no idea what it's like to be the pastor. We've got to make this thing work. We've got to make the volunteers work. We've got to make growth track work. We've got to to make this happen, make that happen. So we're not preaching by going, Lord, while I'm preaching, show me someone. Point someone out to me. Let me see someone. Let me be led by the Spirit. Give me a gift of the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom. That I may see someone. Let me find someone. Let me connect with someone. And let me intentionally connect with them and raise them up. Because the harvest is plentiful, but yeah. the workers are still few. Yeah. It's a burden. Yeah. We've got to make it happen. We've got to plant life-giving churches. Yeah. We should have a church every, every half a kilometer. Huh? Yeah. Why not? You know, at Urban Edge, every time a new church opened up, we took an offering up for them. We gave them 10 grand. Come on, we hope you succeed. Yeah. Huh? One size doesn't fit all. That's right. Different people like different expressions.
0: Yeah. We mustn't be so insecure. We must get the harvest saved. Yeah. Amen. So, so I'm going to ask Diamond to pray for us in a moment. Um, is that your last question? Yeah, it is. I might have missed one. I'm or having two. fun. <laughs> I, um, I really felt strongly while even just thinking about some of these questions um, that, that that with this with this with this last one that I just asked you, um, I want you to pray. I want you to lead us in praying for workers. Um, I, I don't. I, I can't emphasize this strongly enough. This isn't about a brand. This isn't about a denomination. No. This, isn't about a, this isn't about a church name. No. Um, this is about this is about people that are far from God being drawn closer to God. Amen. Um, you've given your life to this. You've paid a very high price, and for good reason, because of because of what's uh, what's at stake. And I think um, I think people need to be gripped with this. I'd love for you to pray that we are gripped, Amen. Gripped, arrested with, with a, a revelation um, of what matters most: the fact that we're living for eternity. This is a campsite. This is temporary. Uh, all the stuff that that so often distracts us—it's it's a blip, it's a drip in the ocean uh, compared to to the rest of eternity. Um, and and I've got to tell you that I, that I'm also optimistic when I look at our future, when I look at our young people. Um, I honestly I, I honestly look at our young people. I look at our youth, and I and I and I don't just see one or two or three. I think that there are several people that God, if if you'll continue to allow Him to yeah. do. What he is doing in your life, if you'll, just, if you'll just do what Don was talking about, just persevering, staying faithful, just keep, keep keeping on. When you fall, get back up again. Um, I, think that, I think that there are a number of people that are going to play a significant role in the kingdom, whatever that looks like. Whether that's in full-time ministry or whether it's as a teacher, whether it's as a lawyer, whatever the case is.